Well, we, uh, we've been going through Ephesians for a long time, but this morning, I thought we're going to take a break. We're going to take a break from Ephesians just for a little bit, uh, and it's not because I don't love the, the book of Ephesians. Um, we just got back from Foursquare Conference, happens our, our district, which consists of about seven different states. We all gather every fall uh, for a, uh, a Foursquare Leaders Conference, and so my wife and I, we were at that this last week, so with Sarah, our next-gen pastor, and um, every time I come back from a Foursquare Leaders Conference, I come back encouraged, but I also, I also if I'm honest, come back a little insecure, because, uh, you know, when you get around other pastors, a lot of comparison takes place, so how's your church going, how many... How many people you got going to your church now? And, and, and you see all these great things that other pastors are doing. So I wrestle with insecurity. I still wrestle with insecurity. But I also come back very encouraged after these gatherings. And at this uh, particular conference, the Lord just began to speak to me about Peter, his disciple. And uh, one of the speakers had, had talked a little bit about Peter. But the Lord kind of sent me on a trail this last week to just like... Just spend a little bit more time looking at the life of Peter. And so I want to share with you this morning um, some, of the, some of the lessons that I've been learning from Peter. Can I do that? Can I just share from my heart this morning? We're going we're gonna to learn about some lessons from, from, from Peter's life today. I love Peter because he was a lot like me. And I'm sure he's a lot like you. Peter was impulsive. He did a lot of things without thinking about it. Any, are any of you like that? Any of you impulsive like that? Yeah, I, I remember, um, I'm very much like Peter where I, I do a lot of things without thinking first. I remember the time that I was going to show off in front of my friends and do, anybody know what a gainer is? Like a flip? You know, it's like where you go, it's like a running backflip where you run and you, you do a, a backflip. And when I was younger, I'm with a big group of friends and we're at this waterfall and I'd never done a gainer, but I decide when I'm surrounded with 30 or 40 of my friends, I think this would be a good time to try my first gainer. And I, I remember I'm like 30 feet up on this cliff and I do, I do this running jump and I did not make it all the way around, just landed straight on my side. And my friends are all filming below going, Oh, that had to hurt. I remember trying to impress, I try to imp- I do a lot of things for people. I try to impress people. I remember my first jump off a, on a snowboard, off a, off a jump, and just, just biffing it. My dad's on the other side of the camera going, ooh, that looks like it tickled. <laughs> and I just relate to Peter. Uh, he wasn't the smartest guy. He wasn't the best speaker, or, or he wasn't the greatest leader for that matter. The only thing that Peter knew how to do really well was fish. Peter was a great fishermen. How many of you like to fish? Uh, I've recently been fishing a lot more with, with um, my friend Brad Walgamont. He's been inviting me out on, uh, on the boat. We've been fishing, and, and I enjoy fishing. It's so peaceful on a lake or a river early in the morning, but I could never make it as a fisherman. I can never do it for a living because it's a difficult job. Not only, not only uh, are you trying to figure out uh, you know, where the fish are going to be and, and what bait to use, but you're just cleaning stuff all the time. It's just a hard job. You're around smelly fish all the time. And for most people today, fishing is a leisure activity. It's something that we do uh, when we want to relax. But in biblical times, being a fisherman was a livelihood. It was a means of provision. Some people, you had to fish to survive. That's how you put bread on the table. 
You know, many Jewish boys, uh, uh, they would begin studying the Torah when they were very young. In fact, uh, if you were a young Jewish boy, you would go to, to Torah school, you would learn the Torah, and the smarter boys would go on to become rabbis or teachers of the law, while the other boys would practice their family's trade. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were all fishermen, probably since they were children. And fishing was all that they knew, all that they were familiar with. And little did they know that their lives were about to be changed forever, and they were about to become disciples of Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. This is the calling of Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, and Simple. We, you guys are at Sunday school too. And Matthew chapter 4. So Matthew, uh, Matthew gives us a shorter version of this story, but we all know, uh, most of us know the longer version of this story is, is, is Peter, James, and John, they were all out on the boat fishing all night long and they caught nothing, right? And they see Jesus on the shore and Jesus hollers out to them, cast your nets on the other side. And so they reluctantly cast their nets on the other side, not before Peter says, oh, we've been fishing all night, night, night long. This isn't going to work. You don't understand. We've been casting on that side of the boat all night long. We just now recently started casting on this side. But now you want us to switch back. Peter, the know-it-all, is going to tell Jesus what to do. And Peter says, we've been doing this all night long, but, but by your command, by your word, we'll do it. And he throws the net on the other side, and they catch a multitude of fish, so many fish that they couldn't even get it into the boat. And then Peter drops to his knees and says, depart from me. I'm not worthy. And this is when Jesus calls Peter to follow him. But Matthew 4 gives us a condensed version, and it says this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once... They left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat. Notice how it says, immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left the boat, and they left their father, and they followed him. You see, becoming a disciple begins with an invitation. It's an invitation for you. Did you know that Jesus chose you before you ever chose Jesus? And there is so much security knowing that. That I may slip and I might fall, but when I do, I have to remember that Jesus called me for this. Jesus chose me before I ever said yes to him. And he chose me knowing that I was going to be like Peter. He, knowing that I was going to be impulsive, that I was going to make mistakes, that I was going to slip up, I was going to do the wrong thing. He chose us before we ever chose him. And Jesus asks Peter and Andrew to follow him, to submit themselves to his teaching and his authority. Now, Jesus wasn't asking them to follow him in the sense that I'm going to just drag you behind me. I want you to observe from behind. Have you ever seen a parent like in Disneyland or some crowded place with a leash on their child? You ever seen that? They got a leash strapped to their child, and I get it. When you're in, like, a crowded place, you don't want to lose your kid. But they are dragging their kid along, like, come on, let's go. You know, that's not what Jesus had in mind. I'm not going to just strap a leash on you. You follow me. No, he was saying, come alongside of me and observe the way that I live so that you can live the same way. 
Becoming a disciple refers to someone who takes up the way of another. To follow Jesus means to learn how he lived so we can mimic his life. We can become more and more like Jesus. And following Jesus is a costly thing. You know, we have condensed following Jesus to just saying a prayer on a Sunday morning or Christmas or Easter, and you're good. You are now a Christian. That is not at all what Jesus had in mind. Becoming a disciple is a costly thing. It requires your entire life, and it means leaving your nets behind. Well, what are these nets, you know? The Bible says that Peter immediately left his nets. Well, nets are things that we hold on to just in case Jesus doesn't get me what I want. Our nets are the things that we hold on to in case Jesus doesn't answer my prayer within my timing. There are safety nets. There are things that we keep coming back to, the things that we rely upon. And up to this point, Peter's nets was his means of livelihood. This is how we kept bringing food on the table. We know that Peter was married because there's a story about his mother-in-law being sick and how Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Jesus had a family to, or excuse me, Peter had a family to take care of. And these nets were his means of provision. These are the things that he came to when he didn't have any other option. Leave your nets. Jesus has to become your security when you become a disciple. Peter and Andrew's nets were how they earned a living. But Jesus was asking them to leave their security and place all of their trust in Jesus' provision. Following Jesus requires that you rely on him for all of your emotional, spiritual, and physical needs. We also know that the, the disciples, it says that they left their boat. Well, think about what the boat, your boat gets you from place to place. It's your means of navigation. It's, it's, it, it is uh, what, what takes you to your next direction, what takes you to your next destination. And Jesus says, leave your boat. I'm going to determine where you go from here on out. I'm going to be your navigator. I'm going to get you from point A to point B. Leave the boat behind. It also says that they left their father. What's the significance of leaving their father? See, in the first century especially, your father was the source, was all, was the source of authority in your family's life. Was the source of authority in your life. As a young man, you listened to your father's voice and you went where he told you to go and you did what he told you to do. You obeyed your father. And it says they left their father, not to say that they disrespected or dishonored their father, because we see in the book of Mark that, that their father Zebedee had hired help to, to help him with his fishing business. They didn't leave him stranded on his own. But they left their father because essentially what they were saying is, I'm going to leave my nets, my places of security and comfort that I've always gone to when things are not working out. I'm going to leave my boat. I'm going to leave my father. I'm going to, Jesus is now going to be the ultimate source of authority in my life. He is going to be the one that I listen to from here on out. And it cost them everything. And for three years, these disciples, Peter, followed Jesus for three years. And he has so many highs and lows. I'm just going to recap for you just some of the things that happened in three years for Peter. So Peter accepts the call of Jesus and he leaves his nets, his boats, his, his father. He leaves his family and he goes and he follows Jesus. And we see later on that the disciples are caught in a storm, and Peter is the one who has 
the courage for a moment to step out of the boat in the midst of the storm. He calls out to Jesus who's walking on the waves and he says, Lord, if it's you, then command me to come out and step on the waves with you. And so Jesus says, okay, come on out. And Peter takes a step out of the boat and begins to walk on the water. The only other person other than Jesus to walk on the water was Peter. But it says that he saw the wind and the waves and he saw the storm and he began terrified and he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink and Jesus picks him up and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So Peter steps out of the water. Another thing that happens to Peter is Peter is the first one to declare that Jesus is the son of God. He is the first of the disciples. Jesus says, you know, who do people say that I am? And his disciples say, well, some say that you're Elijah the prophet. Some say you're a great teacher. And he looks at Peter and he says, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the son of God. And he's, in this moment, he looks at Peter and says, it is the spirit that has revealed this to you, Peter. And he begins to instill. We're going to come back to this story in a little bit. But he begins to speak into Peter. This is where he changes Peter's name from Simon to Peter, and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And you can just sense Peter. I stepped out of the boat. He's going to build his church on this rock. And in the very next paragraph, Jesus begins to talk about his death, and Peter says, no, may it not be so. And he looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Great. Back at square one. Peter goes from being the rock that he's gonna, Jesus is going to build his church on to being, get behind me, Satan. What happens next? Jesus is getting arrested in Matthew 26, and Peter just automatically draws his sword and hacks the ear off of one of the Roman guards. And he gets reprimanded by Jesus. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And Peter is like, my bad. That was, that was really impulsive. Peter's also the one in the upper room. As Jesus goes around washing people's feet, he gets to Peter, and Peter goes, no, I'm good. You don't need to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you can't have any part of me. And Peter says, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my whole body. Give me a, give me a shower, Jesus. And he says, no, I only need to wash your feet. And then immediately after this, Jesus washes his feet And then Peter makes this bold declaration that he will always follow Jesus. I'm going with you to the very end. Jesus, I'm your guy. I'm the one you can count on. I'm the one who will always be there for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, actually, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter denies the one who called him out onto the waves. He denies the one who washes his feet in sacrificial love. He denies the one who speaks life and changed his name and calls out his destiny and says, on this church, I will build my rock. He denies his most precious friend and Lord and master. He denies Jesus three times. And suddenly Peter finds himself in a place That he never thought he would be. He never in a million years would have thought that he would do something like that. He swore it would never come to that. Have you ever been in that place 
where you found yourself doing the thing that you promised you would never do or never do again. I promise, God, I'm going to give this to you. I'll never do that again. I'll never be there. And you find yourself doing it again. And you say, I, I never thought I would be back here. I swore I would be better than this. But here I am again. This is the disciple that Jesus chose. You know, that brings me great comfort knowing the grace and the patience that Jesus has for every single one of us. Because he chose Peter knowing his future, didn't he? He chose Peter knowing what he would end up doing. And he chooses you knowing exactly what you are going to do in life. And he doesn't want you to run away when you make a mistake. He doesn't want you to give up. He wants to do for you what he did for Peter. So after, after Peter denies Jesus three times, we know that Jesus was crucified. He was buried, but then he was resurrected. And he appeared again. He appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. And he showed them the, the nail marks in his wrists and in his feet. They show, he showed them the scar in his side. And he proved that it was him standing in front of them. And then he tells his disciples to go and wait for him in Galilee, and he disappears. And so we're going to read from John chapter 21. Turn there with me. John chapter 21, we're going to start from verse 1. I hear pages turning. This is a good thing. John 21, verse 1. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Typical Peter. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out. And got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. See, Jesus had already appeared to his disciples, and he told them that he would meet them in Galilee, but he didn't say when they were at it. That's probably Jesus calling. Got to pick up a phone. He didn't say, he didn't tell the disciples when he would show up. He said, I'll meet you in Galilee. He only told them to wait, right? And Peter, Peter gets restless. Peter gets restless, and he tells the group, that he's going, to, he's going fishing. He's going back to his nets. Guys, this is taking a long time for Jesus to, uh, to come back to us. And I'm just going to go do what I know is, is familiar, what's comfortable. So, so Peter goes back to the nets that he immediately left when Jesus called him to follow him. He goes back to his safety. He goes back to his security. He goes back to plan B. In verse 4. This is what happens next. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered, he said. Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Is this story sounding familiar? And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the, of the large number of fish. In fact, John counts the, the fish, it was 153 fish. That's how precise this guy was. They, they bring in all this fish. The story is supposed to sound familiar because Jesus is taking Peter back to the beginning. He's giving Peter a fresh start. 
And what happens next is Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore. Now, why Peter didn't help the rest of the guys like get the boat back in the shore, I don't know. But it says he tucks his garments in, he puts on his outer robe, he tucks it in, and he jumps in the water and he gets to shore to find that Jesus is already waiting there with a fish on the fire pit. And you can imagine Peter sopping wet. <sighs> hey, Jesus. And think about how awkward this moment was. Both Peter and Jesus, they know what, what Peter did. And Peter's just excited to see him. So he gets out. <sighs> hey, Jesus. And Peter, or what, what Jesus does next is he, he invites the, the disciples to bring in some fish and cook some more fish. Now, Peter, what I find so interesting about this part of the story is that Peter is an excellent fisherman as far as we know. That's what he did for a living. It was a trade of his family. We know that these disciples are great fishermen. It's all they've ever done. It's their family trade. They've relied on fishing all their life. But this amazing fisherman can't catch any fish all night. He goes back to his nets. He goes back to rely on his own abilities, on the things that are comfortable and familiar with him, only to not get anything out of it. But when Jesus shows up, not only does he catch a boatload of fish, he swims to shore only to realize that Jesus already has fish for him to eat. He's already been taken care of. Jesus is everything that he needs. I think one of the lessons from Peter, Peter would say this, Jesus is all that I need. I cannot rely on my own abilities and plans to take care of me. Because that's exactly what Peter did. But as he went out, fishes all night, relies on his own abilities, on his own timing, on his own plans, it all comes out fruitless. And he gets back to shore and Jesus says, what are you doing out there? Why are you wet? I got fish right here for you. Have a seat. Verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know I love you, Jesus said. Or Peter said that and Jesus says, feed my sheep. See, Peter is hurt because he knows what Jesus is doing. He knows what Jesus is taking him through. He's recreating the moment of betrayal. It was around a fire at nighttime. Where Peter was asked three questions, and he denied Jesus three times. And now again, he's around a fire with Jesus, and he's being asked three questions. And this time it's, do you love me? Jesus is reconciling Peter, and he's recommissioning him. We serve a God that does not count us out when we've made a mistake, that does not dismiss us and think to himself, oh, that was a poor choice. Why did I trust her with that? Why did I trust him with that? 
That is not the God that we serve. We serve the God who says, let's try this again. I'm going to take you back to the beginning from when I called you. Cast your nets on the other side. Do you remember when I called you? Do you remember the feeling? Do you remember the privilege? Do you remember the joy? Let's get back there. Now I'm going to take you back to the place where you messed up. And we're going to recreate this scene. And I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and Peter is hurt because he knows that he messed up. Peter thought that he was showing love to Jesus by standing up at the Last Supper and boldly declaring how he's going to follow Jesus to the very end. But Peter knows better now that that is not how you show Jesus love, by just declaring it in front of people, what, what Jesus tells him. And I think what Peter would say, the second lesson that Peter would give us is, I love Jesus by loving people. Because when he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you, Jesus says, then feed my sheep. Love other people. Take care of other people. Show kindness and compassion. Pastor other people. Shepherd other people. We show our love for Jesus by feeding other people. This isn't just a word for, for ministers, for pastors. This is a word for the church. That we show love to Jesus when we show love to people. And then Jesus continues, or this is uh, what Jesus says in verse 18. Very next verse. He says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, Peter, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following. By the way, the disciple whom Jesus loved is the one who's writing the book, who's writing the words. You've got to be pretty confident about Jesus' love for you if you're going to refer to yourself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Peter turns, where was I? It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, which is John. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? John wants everybody to know who he is, right? I'm the one that Jesus loved. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about John? What about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Jesus is describing Peter's imprisonment and death on a cross. When he says, Peter, in your last days, you will stretch out your hands. And he's referring to the way that Peter dies. We know that Peter is crucified upside down on a cross. That's how he gives his life to the Lord. Because he did not want to be crucified in the same manner that his Lord was crucified. He told them to turn the cross upside down. And he was crucified. They led Peter where he did not want to go. And, and Jesus is describing for Peter the means of his death and how he's going to give his life for Jesus. And Peter, who has this desire for significance, he was always making decisions for the group and wanted to be the first to declare his passion for Jesus. So when Jesus describes Peter's future, Peter's first question is, well, what about John? Huh? You, I want to know, am I going to be, is, this, am I, is my ending going to be cooler than John's? I mean, do you got something? Else? What about John? 
And Jesus looks at Peter and says, mind your own business. He says, stay in your own lane, Peter. If I want, I got a plan and a destiny for John. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Stay in your lane, Peter. Stop worrying about the people to your left and your right. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop trying to run another person's race. That's not the race that I gave to you. You stay in your own lane. Peter would say this to us. I need to run my own race. I need to run my own race. Don't worry about what God is doing in the lives of other people around you. They're running their own races, so don't compare yourself to them. I'm going to invite Mary to come up as we, as we close. I'm going to take you back to the moment where Jesus changed Peter's name. See, we, we look at our lives. We look at our lives, and we can see what's happening now, and we can see what's happened in the past. We all start out in life wanting to do great things right? We want to become an astronaut or a doctor or a firefighter or a star athlete or a t- you put it, fill in the blanks. We, we all start off our life wanting to do great things, but as life gets harder, we begin to lose faith in our own abilities. We don't think we're smart enough or strong enough to be those things, and we settle for less. And we often focus on the weaknesses in our own life. But Jesus has the ability to look at you and see your future. He knows what you can become. He knows what he's making you to become. He can look at the entire timeline of our lives and see our full potential. And he looked at Peter, and he declared to Peter, you are more than who you think you are. Simon means tossed to and fro by the wind. It means a reed blown back and forth. That's what the name Simon means. But he says, you're not going to be Simon anymore. You're going to be Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus believed in Peter. He was patient as Peter discovered what he was born to do. And we can learn from Peter and know that God has an amazing plan for your life, regardless of your mistakes. You might have really messed it up in the past. You may have really made some poor decisions along the way, and following Jesus may not have always been so easy. But God doesn't want, God doesn't focus on where you are now. He focuses on who He is making you, He focuses on who you are becoming. And I'm so grateful that we serve a God that when we fall and when we make a mistake, Jesus says, I'm going to die so that you don't live in that shame. Jesus died on the cross so that we wouldn't stay in that place of shame, believing those things about ourselves. He died so that we could get back up and we could continue walking towards him in full confidence that he is making me into somebody who looks more and more like the person of Jesus every day. Does that mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. But Jesus is making you to look more and more like himself every single day. Would you stand with me as we close? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
Jesus took Peter back to the beginning. He took him back to the start where he first commissioned him, where he first gave him a joy and a hope that I've been called, I've been chosen. I think Peter had forgotten about that. Peter forgot that he was called, that he was chosen, but Jesus wanted to bring him back to that moment to remind him. Some of you in this place might need to go back to that, that beginning. I feel like there's people here who have forgotten what it was like to be called and chosen by God. And I think there's also people in here who have made mistakes. You've messed up and Jesus wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to recommission you. He wants to reconcile with you. And so, Father, right now I pray for the people in this room. God, I pray for our church that you would ignite a fire in the hearts of every person here to want, to desire, to go back to the beginning and find that first love once again. The joy of our salvation, what it was like to be chosen to be called out. Jesus says, I'm still choosing you. I still choose you. Even where you're at now, I choose you now. If you're in this place, if every head bowed, every eyes closed, if you're in this place and you feel like I need to be reconciled back to God, I feel distant, I feel far away, and you say, I feel like I need to get close to God again. Would you just raise your hand for me so I can pray over you? There's hands all over this room. Anybody else? You could put your hands down. It's oftentimes our sin and our shame that makes us feel that way, isn't it? But Jesus died so we don't live in that shame. And I just see would you just place yourself on that beach with with Peter place yourself on that beach with Jesus right now and look into the eyes of Jesus imagine Jesus grabbing your cheeks grabbing your face with his hands looking into your eyes and saying do you love me would you just say back to him now yes Jesus I love you say it again do you love me yes Jesus I love you one more time do you love me Then feed my sheep. Then love other people. It is why you're alive. Take your eyes off yourself. Stop looking at your mistakes. Stop looking at your own stuff and start serving other people. That's why I created you. To bless other people. To bring the kingdom of God to earth. I want to use you in mighty and powerful ways. But you've got to stop living in shame. Your sin cannot hold you back from the plans that I have for you. Jesus, we receive this invitation to come back to the start. God, we receive the, we, 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 we say yes to the call to follow you. We say we love you. I'm going to invite the ministry teams to come up here. Would you make your way to the front? And if you need prayer in this place, if there's, I, I feel like if there's emotional, uh, if there's emotional healing that you need, find somebody up here to pray for you. But also, I believe that there are, there's some physical pain that might be holding you back. And it may have, even for some of you, caused you to, to doubt God's love for you. Like, if God really loved me, wouldn't he heal me? 
I believe that God has a word for you that he wants to speak to you today. And I believe that he has healing for us today as well. And so if you need physical healing in your body, would you find somebody up here to pray with you? I pray for, your, for our hearts. Jesus, I pray for, um, for any broken heart in this room, God, the ones that are just crying out to be seen and to be loved by you. God, would you restore those broken hearts? We love you, Jesus. We say yes to you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, amen. If you need prayer, Mary's going to continue playing for a while. Uh, you can make your way up to the front. Find somebody to pray with you. In just a moment, about 10 minutes, we're going to start grow class. So the rest of you are dismissed. And we're going to go do grow class in just a little bit.